It's time to get a bit messy. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, football friends from all around our world, welcome to episode three of the Getting a Bit Messy show here on WECB. I, as always, am your host, Connor Donovan, joined by my co-host, Nandan Nair, and we have a very special guest with us joining here, us here in the studio today, Max Demel, our football-loving friend. Everybody say hello to Max. And Max, do you want to tell the people a little bit about yourself? Yeah, of course. I guess, first of all, uh, Connor and Nandan, thank you so much for having me in today. Um, this is fantastic. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm Max. I'm a sophomore VMA major here at uh, Emerson College, and uh, I'm a massive football fan. Um, I grew up playing football as well ever since I was about four or five years old. Um, came up through local club system and also my high school and playing all the time, so I absolutely love it. And then in addition to that, I'm a massive fan of uh, Arsenal FC, of course, the best team in London. Uh, Austin FC, my hometown oh, club. And uh, Fiorentina as well, yeah. Three good teams there, especially <laughs> Arsenal, I'd say, right? Awesome, man. Fantastic. <laughs> well, we're very excited to have you with us here today on the show. So with that being said... We are very thankful that Max has stepped in on late notice to fill in for our usual co-host, Thomas Pudiak, who unfortunately can't be with us here in the studio tonight due to a night traveling back home from Boston. So Thomas will be missed. Don't worry, though. Thomas and I sat for a little while last night to record an all-time great segment for you guys to be played on the episode here today, which we'll get to shortly during our breakdown matches. And I'm so excited to share that with everyone, especially the two of you guys, because I think you guys are going to crack up at what Thomas had to say. Our show will be broken down, as usual, into the bigger breakdown matches from this past week, followed by some quick-fire results and notes, and then a short break before this week's Honker of the Week coronation ceremony and the finishing segment of Predictions at Pace. Thomas's picks have been recorded on the document prior to the show, and we're excited to hear Max's predictions for the matches ahead this weekend. So, without further ado, Nandan and Max, are you guys ready to get messy here in the studio today? Let's do it. Oh, yeah. Let's get into it, starting with our breakdown matches. First, we have the U.S. men's national team 1 and Germany 3. Christian Pulisic, a man in his element at the moment, scoring for fun at AC Milan and brings that form with him to the national team, letting loose a sensational strike from the top of the 18-yard box after dancing away from Jonathan Ta, leaving Marc-Andre Ter Stegen absolutely no choice but to stare in awe as it whizzed over his head and into the top corner. So a moment to salute an epic Captain America moment. Captain America for a reason. Yeah. CP10. Yes, sir. Anyways, now that that bright spot is out of the way, wow, did Germany have their way with the United <laughs> States in the second half. After securing an equalizer just before halftime through a combination play between Leroy Sané and Ilkay Gundogan, Germany absolutely dominated the rest of the second half. There was cheeky one-and-two touch attacking football on display that you have to say is starting to have that trademark Julian Nagelsmann charm to it. Nicholas Fulkrug and Jamal Musiala found the back of the net in the second half, and Germany walked out of Connecticut with a 3-1 win. You know, I have to say, Connor and Max, um, it's a bit of a cliche, but this really was a game of two halves. You know, the U.S. in that first half looked absolutely incredible. They were really taking the game to Germany. I thought Serginho Dest was brilliant in that first half, down that right flank. Uh, and then the second half... You know, I want to say I don't know what happened, uh, but I can't say that because I know exactly what happened. I can tell you that Serginho Dest was really unbrilliant in the second half. He was, but more importantly, I think the big difference 
uh, was no Gio Reyna. Yes, I think absolutely. when you take a look at this U.S. team, and Max, I want you to touch on this too, uh, yeah. I, I feel like Gio Reyna right now is seeming like the really that really big piece in the U.S. men's national team right now. They are a completely different team with him versus without him. The midfield just is a mess without him. Um, and so I'm a little concerned in that aspect. Mm, yeah, for sure. I mean, I think Berhalter definitely has, um, you know, a decision to make on his hands because, of course, when Gio's out there, he brings so much creativity and flair, and especially looking at that front four now of, like, Pulisic, Reyna, Wea, and Balogun, I think that looks really strong for the future of this national team. But then, of course, you have to find a way to also play all of Adams, McKenney, and Musa when they're all fit. But either way, I think we have some great options uh, in midfield and up top. And, yeah, Gio definitely is a huge part of that, I think, in the future. Yeah, 100%. Uh, I like I like the honorable mention in there that you threw Tyler Adams into the mix. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. Tyler Adams, if you haven't heard the news, is going to be out for an extended period of time. The hamstring injury that he had surgery on, what was it, four months ago at this point? So, yeah. yeah, Never fully healed on him, um, and he's had a setback with that injury. He's going to need another surgery, so he's going to face another spell on the sidelines for Bournemouth. So mm-hmm. unfortunate for him and for the men's national team who definitely suffer when Tyler Adams is not around. Next up, England exact their Euro revenge. England <laughs> beating Italy 3-1 in a rematch of the famed Euro 2020 final. Harry Kane at the double, and Marcus Rashford finished off a brilliant Jude Bellingham run from his own half as England again got their revenge for that final and book their ticket to the next Euro tournament in the process. Mm-hmm. Great performance from England all around. Uh, I have to say they are looking very strong. Um, I do wonder, is this the tournament where we finally see England winning an international trophy? We've been saying it for a while now, but we'll see. But I'm a little more concerned, honestly, uh, for Italy, mainly in their defense, because I think we've talked a lot about how Italy's n- Italy over the years has been known for having incredible defenders. But... You look at that Italian defense this game, it was just shambolic. I mean, the Harry Kane goal, the first one I believe it was, where he just shoved the defender to the side and then out-sprinted the other one. It makes you really miss having Bonucci and Cellini and those guys in the middle of your field. Yeah, it's not a good look when you're getting outpaced by Harry Kane. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, definitely. I think the Italian back line is kind of in a weird spot right now because you have all those kind of old guys that have been able to keep up and maintain their defensive you know, skill, but then now they have kind of these younger defenders coming in, um, you know, the likes of Bastoni and Scalvini and even uh, guys like Bongiorno, and you have to see if they'll be able to face up to the pressures of uh, increasing international tournaments. 100%. A good result for England, and they finally get that coveted ticket to Germany for Euro 2024. Back to the men's national team now, where the U.S. had, I want to call it an impressive 4 nothing win against Ghana, but I, I kind of have a hot take on this game. I'm going to start by saying that Gio Reyna, again, like you highlighted, Max, was crucial to the men's national team in this game, back and better than ever, a brace for the boy on the day, and hopefully he can now continue that form with Dortmund, provided that Terzic gives him a chance. 100%. Definitely. But at the same time, you also have to wonder, my big complaint with the U.S. men's national team right now is a lot of these really big wins that Berghalter's been getting with this squad have come against, I hate to say it, uh, underwhelming squads. I mean, Ghana, Uzbekistan, Oman, this isn't the kind of teams you're going to be playing in the World Cup or in the Copa America. And so in 2026, when the time comes, if you want to make a deep run, you have to be able to beat a Germany or beat a Netherlands 
or any of those kind of teams. And quite frankly, this team just with Berghalter, it does not seem like they have what it takes to be a top ten team right now. Yeah, I, mean, I, I definitely agree with that. I think you can see that both in the reappointment of Berghalter as well as the scheduling of these various fixtures. It seems like the U.S. Federation is not sort of willing to challenge itself and get out of its comfort zone as much as we really should be um, in order to really validate the amount, massive amounts of talent um, in this current U.S. squad and, and building towards the future in that the home uh, World Cup run. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So my hot take from this game, even though the U.S. won 4 nothing. Was this a case of the U.S. men's national team looking really good? Or was this just a case of Ghana looking really, really bad? (laughs) Because I don't think the U.S. looked overly impressive despite leading 4-0 after 25 minutes of play because I was watching that game and after 30 minutes I just kind of thought to myself, I feel like we've kind of accidentally stumbled our way into a Mm 4-0 lead here in the first 30 minutes. like. (laughs) I don't know. It, it was just—it felt just like give it to Gio Reyna and pray, honestly. Yeah, yeah. Some most of the time it did just feel like give Gio the ball and get out of the way. But mm-hmm. I don't know. I was just—I'm just like you said. I'm not excited that Burhalter's back. Nope. Yeah. I, the even though there were so many jokes about BJ Callahan when he was the coach <laughs> <laughs> temporarily. Listen, they were winning games and they were playing really attractive football. So mm-hmm. I was I was fully behind BJ Callahan and I was kind of hoping that they would consider him to replace Borhalter instead of bringing him back. But same here. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, here we are. That being said, it's time to go to Denmark versus San Marino, and it's time for Thomas's segment. So even though Thomas is not here in the studio tonight. I did have the opportunity to sit with him to go through this Denmark-San Marino result, and all I have to say is that we had absolutely too much fun with this. So here we go. All right, I'm here with Thomas, who is unfortunately again not with us in the studio tonight, but is incredibly excited to break down the chaos that is Denmark versus San Marino from this week's Euro qualifiers. A reminder that the final score from this game was Denmark 2, San Marino 1. But Thomas, what a chaotic one this was, huh? Boy, oh boy, did you hear that? San Marino 1. And, uh, no, they didn't win the game, of course not. But uh, that is uh, that is right. Uh, that is right, Connor. They scored a goal. I mean, you are not. Don't change the channel. You are not hearing wrong right now. San Marino, after two years, have scored a goal. Could, can you believe it? Two full years San Marino have gone without scoring a goal in competitive play, but that drought has finally, finally ended with their captain scoring a captain's goal to equalize against Denmark in Euro qualifiers. And what a scene that was, Thomas. Honestly, uh, the in all of their substitutes, all of their athletic coaching staff stormed the pitch to celebrate that goal. And uh, now you hear sometimes rival fans will say, oh, uh, they, they celebrate that goal like they scored the World Cup. Well, they might as well. I mean, if you were a plumber in San Marino by day and you just scored a goal against 18th ranked Denmark at night, I, w- I would be celebrating. Absolutely. All, all bangers need to be celebrated, isn't that right? <laughs> 
Absolutely. And a banger it was. It's this little set piece routine. They crowd the box, they head it out, and then coming in from the edge of the box, uh, they, he sort of volleys it. And now the, people, the haters might say he volleys it directly at the hands of the keeper, and the keeper must do well. But uh, he, that keeper was no, no competition for that San Marino might struck into that ball. Uh, San Marino... Uh, they can pat themselves on the back for a result like this. Yeah, absolutely. They were they were so, so close to that coveted draw, Thomas. And as we talked about before, that would have been, if they were able to keep the draw against Denmark, that would have been just their second ever in the Federation's history, their second ever point in Euro qualifying. The only other time that they have gotten a point was when they drew a match. When did you say back in 2014? Uh, this was uh, <laughs> all, all the way, I believe actually, uh, yes, it was a, a 2014 for Euro 2016 qualifying against uh, the mighty Estonia. I mean, that that's an equal feat in my book. Yeah, 100%, 100%. In the Federation's history for San Marino, let's take a little dive here. First, before we go into the Federation, I want to highlight the Never Any Joy Brigade, the mm. San Marino fan club of five ultras, these five <laughs> random blokes that have followed this god-awful team all over the ends of the earth, never watching this team win a game for what is now 134 matches that they have been present at. Yes, you heard that right. The FIFA lowest ranked team going a full two years now without managing to score a goal in competitive play and has not won in the 134 matches that these five guys have decided to show up to. It, it should it should also go on record that their their one win a one nil go, uh, one nil uh, a, a home win against Liechtenstein. This was 135 games ago. <laughs> Uh, this is, you know, their gold, the golden age of San Marino, as I like to call it, um, was actually a friendly. Uh, not only was this their last win, this was their only win in Federation history. To this day, by uh, in official competition, have never won a game. This is, it's not just 134 games without a win it's 134 since their only win and again not in competitive play still holding out anyways uh the absolute limbs inside of that stadium when the equalizer went in were mental if you have not seen the celebrations like thomas said all of the coaching staff and substitutes rushed the field so be sure to look up that clip rasmus hausland the striker from Man United, who also plays and stars for the Danish national team, came out after the game saying that he believes the San Marino defenders in this match were only trying to put in tackles that would hurt him. Look, I mean, he ha he has a point. He has a point. You know, he uh, he he uh, came from Italy. Uh, he says he speaks Italian, which of course um, the players from San Marino do. I'm gonna be honest. If I if I was from San Marino, I'd be putting in them tackles too, you know. I mean, I you know, if you're if you're some carpenter, you know, from San Marino, 
You know, you you work all first, day. First, we had first we had plumbers. Now we're at carpenters. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah you know, or any sort of uh, blue blue collar work. I'll tell you, you know, uh, you know, if you're if you're work putting in your day shift and you get off your nine to five full of uh, laborious work and you got them calloused hands and then you get you look at your night shift. Yo, God, I got a graveyard shift playing Denmark tonight. Sorry, guys, I can't go out tonight. You know, and then you see, you know, you, you, you're like, oh boy, honey, sorry, I won't be home tonight. You know, leave a, leave some roast beef in the, uh, in the fridge for me. I'll microwave it later. I got to go defend that, uh, fella Rasmus Husland who, uh, who, uh, scored in the Champions League tonight. And she's like, okay, honey, have a good time. And, uh, you know, you, you trust her to, 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 you know, make sure the kids are in bed on time oh you can't check you know you're okay with them watching the tv you go hey kids uh you know let the kids stay up for a little bit uh i'm gonna break him i'm gonna take that expensive toy at man united i'm gonna break him check this out and, and uh <laughs> the fact that you, you know built, the fact that you've built lives <laughs> for these Marino families. Uh, they're all real people <laughs> You know, uh, how great would that be? You know, I, uh, you know, sometimes, you know, I, you know, we live in Boston is sometimes I'll be walking down the street and someone's like, Hey, is that Dennis Leary? I'm like, should I break him on camera? And they're like, no, don't do that. I go, yeah, you're probably right. But you know, it's something that crosses, I'm sure everyone's mind. And so sure. I get why Hoslin's upset, but, uh, what else do they have to do in San Marino, but, uh, break people. I don't know. I'm okay that's, with it. That's, that's outrageous. Oh my goodness. I, I definitely, I definitely, I think it's a bit unfriendly for the children in the family, but I would definitely say that if I were a member of the San Marino national team and I were a defender that was about to face Rasmus Hodgland, that I would probably be in the pub with my mates a night or two before and be like, hey, let's make sure you tune into the game because I'm going to make this guy's night an absolute horror. Uh, what else can you have with the Marina? I mean, their their own ultras are called Never Any Joy Brigade. I should say, I I, I thought it was called Never Ending Joy Brigade. I think it's uh, I could not imagine having more love for a team than San Marino, where every single goal scored is basically a trophy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you yeah, are your country's top back scorer of the net for that year. some silverware. Yeah, I mean that. You, that's basically the the uh, San Marino Pushkas Award. All right, I think I think we've had enough fun with the uh, with, with San Marino, who reminder are FIFA's lowest ranked team out of all of the teams that <laughs> fall under that fall under FIFA's ranking system. So to those poor souls in the Never Any Joy Brigade, we at getting a bit messy certainly hope that San Marino can find a win within your lifetime. I'll say that. I would say in the next couple of years, but I don't know how their trajectory looks at the moment. So I just I just hope that those five blokes that are just having fun traveling the world watching San Marino can eventually at some point watch their team win a game and properly celebrate after. Hey, I don't know if I can say this on air, but uh, to the never-ending joy brigade, uh, the next time San Marino wins, the uh, rounds at the bar are on us. <laughs> Yeah, and hold us to that. Yeah, def- definitely, one hundred percent. We'll uh, we'll have to make sure that we fly out San Marino next time they win, so that we can uh, we can buy buy the village a uh, a round or two. Yeah, I'll have a few decades to save up for it, I suppose. 
Oh, that's too mean. Anyway, San Marino un unfortunately did not keep the 1-1 result and fell to a Yusuf Polson. I believe it was a 79th minute header, Thomas. Uh, 70th, I believe, is nine minutes after uh, the uh, San Marino goal. Unfortunately, yes, yeah, so 20 seven... minutes from that coveted point. Just nine minutes after they had found their glorious equalizer, it was Yusuf Polson who scored the dagger at the back post, heading it back across goal and putting Denmark 2-1 in front and unfortunately giving San Marino not enough time left to work with. This has been fantastic, by the way, this little segment that we just did on Denmark and San Marino. <laughs> thank you so much for taking some time to record this for me, Thomas. Of course, thank bad? you for having me. Do you have any parting thoughts before I throw it back to the guys in the studio? Just that, uh, I'll be honest, I think if uh, San Marino had gotten a point here, I think they'd be uh, favorites for me to uh, try and go and get another point. <laughs> thank you. Thank you for joining me, and I will see you next week in the studio. Thank you. See you next week. And we will be right back. We are going to throw it back to the studio at WECB. All right, and we are back in the WECB studio now. Thomas, I appreciate you taking the time to record that segment with me. As you heard, we had a bit too much fun with that. Thomas got a bit carried away creating alternative realities for families <laughs> in San Marino. But, uh, Maybe was, in another life. Maybe in an alternate life. It was, it was all good fun. It was all good fun. So the next breakdown match we have for you is Ireland 4, Gibraltar 0. Brighton youngster Evan Ferguson bagged again for Ireland and what an exciting young talent he is. They're certainly glad that he hasn't followed in Grealish and Rice's footsteps and turned his back on the Irish for the England national team. This is also, if you haven't heard about this yet, one of the weirdest qualifying situations I think I've ever heard of. They now find themselves in a situation where they would now rather lose to the Netherlands next month than win that game. That's right, Connor. It's a very, very fascinating situation, and we're going to break that down right now. Uh, so basically how this works is, as of right now, uh, with one game to go, Ireland are out of contention for those top two automatic play uh, qualification spots in their group. So they cannot automatically qualify for Euro 2024. But their only hope now is through the playoffs. And the playoffs for the for this are determined by their na the ranking system used based on how they performed in the Nations League. Uh, so basically, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, it's I think the top 10 or so teams uh, based on Nations League ranking that do not automatically qualify. So the ones that don't automatically qualify but are high ranked from the Nations League play go through this playoff. So if they beat the Netherlands, that would send Greece through automatically. But it would also send the Netherlands to the playoffs automatically because of how well they did in the Nations League. In turn, closing the door on an opportunity for Ireland to go through in that playoff spot. If they lose, however, the Netherlands will go through automatically, and therefore that is one less team that could push Ireland out of those rankings. So it's a very fascinating situation, uh, but there also is more things that need to happen, Max. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. So essentially, um, the Irish, they need two more playoff berths to become available, uh, meaning that altogether they need 11 more nations ranked ahead of them in the Nations League. Uh, Nations League rankings to qualify directly in order for them to be allocated a playoff berth. So that means that 11 of the following nations need to qualify, and these are the various nations. Italy, Croatia, Netherlands, 
Denmark, Hungary, Switzerland, Poland, the Czech Republic, Wales, Israel, Bosnia and Herzegovina, Serbia, Finland, Ukraine, and last but not least, Iceland. Worth noting, though, the following cannot both qualify directly as they're from the same group, and those groupings are Italy and Ukraine, Wales and Croatia, Czech Republic and Poland, and Switzerland and Israel from groups C, D, E, and I, respectively. So essentially, Ireland needs almost every miracle in the book to qualify for the upcoming Euros in Germany in 2024. Have fun trying to keep track of that one because it was an absolute nightmare to research for this episode, but very fun to read about. But just you got to say, I mean, if they qualify next month, I think it may be one of the greatest qualification stories we've ever heard. And potentially one of the greatest conspiracy theories in football. (laughs) (laughs) I know what I'm betting on next week. Yeah. Um, Our last breakdown match for this week was unfortunately meant to be the Belgium-Sweden match. Um, This match, if you hadn't heard, was unfortunately called off due to an active terrorist attack in the city of Brussels. Two Swedish football fans were shot dead in the city in the lead-up to the match. Upon hearing the news, the players refused to return to the field and play the second half. The Belgian police then insisted that the Swedish fans all remain in their seats until more information was available and the threat was cleared, and the Swedish players were escorted immediately right back to the airport. We at Getting a Bit Messy certainly send our thoughts and well wishes to the Swedish families affected by this horrible incident and anyone else at the match or in the city that may have been shell-shocked by this unprovoked violence. It shouldn't need to be said, but again, there's absolutely no space for anything of this nature anywhere near our beautiful game, and this was absolutely heartbreaking news to hear. With all of our breakdown games now out of the way, it's time to jump to our quickfire results. So, starting off with Italy giving Malta the smackdown 4-0, where it was Berardi at the double, and Bonaventura and Fratesi added another with Fratesi's burying the game in added time. Super Jack Bonaventura, getting better with age. (laughs) 100%, Max, 100%. Next up, it's Hungary 2, Serbia 1. Hungary have not yet qualified for the Euros, but are now leading their group and find themselves in control of their own destiny. Only one win away from qualification for the next Euros in Germany. So as a Liverpool fan, come on, Dominic (laughs) Soboslai. I still remember last Euros where they almost knocked France out of the group. That was a fun time. Yeah, that was chaos as well. Mm Mm-hmm. Slovenia 3-0 Finland. I'm not sure if anyone's been keeping up with Slovenia, but Benjamin Sesko is scoring goals for fun right now in the Slovenia side, and they are well on their way to qualifying for the Euros, probably ahead of everybody's predicted schedules. Definitely, yeah. Unbelievable player. Yeah, one to watch for sure in upcoming windows through the Red Bull system right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is it Where is he, Leipzig or Salzburg? Um, I believe last year at Salzburg, and then he transferred to Leipzig over the summer. Love love a classic Salzburg to Leipzig transfer. Yeah. Those he, got, never he, get got, old. he got promoted to varsity, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. 100%. They, he got brought up to the varsity squad. <laughs> Georgia 4, Cyprus 0. This match had a goal and an assist for Vicha Barachkelia. This guy is an insane talent and was like unbelievably impressive for Napoli last season for those of you that weren't keeping up with him mm-hmm. Kvaradana he's been Kvaradana, nicknamed yep. oh yeah he was absolutely yeah absolutely unreal last year he was definitely a huge part of Napoli's Scudetto success so I'm hoping 
hoping him and Osimhen can run it back one more time this year. For sure. Next up, Spain won zero Norway, and the Spaniards have sent Scotland to Germany. Whoop. After spoiling their qualification party last time we talked on the channel here, Spain turned around and defeated Norway 1-0, clinching Scotland and their mighty Tartan army a trip to Germany next summer for the Euros, qualifying them for the tournament before the three Lions of England, by the way. So Crazy um, results. Scotland get into a Euros before England. Who would have <laughs> predicted that one for this qualification cycle? Can't wait for McTominay to bag nine goals next Euros. The new R9. Mm-hmm. Always the new R9 with Scott McTominay. Next match, another team that books their ticket to the Euros. It's Turkey who beat Latvia 4-0. And I'm not sure if anyone has seen them celebrating after the match. First in the dressing room, dancing in a circle together as a team, embracing the moment. And then again after the match, embracing some of their mascots that had walked out onto the field with them before the game and letting them in on the celebrations as well. So that was really wholesome. We have Wales 2, 1 Croatia, and this feels like an uncharacteristic loss from the Croatian national team, especially considering it was Euro qualifying. Harry Wilson was at the double, and that was enough to see Wales victorious on the day. So it's going to be a hard fight now between Wales and Croatia for that last automatic qualification spot in that group. Next crazy game, Greece 0, 1 Netherlands. And this match, it was even 0-0 because if Greece had beaten the Netherlands, they would have booked their ticket to the Euros automatically. But now the Netherlands find themselves in the driver's seat after a late, late Virgil van Dijk heroic stepping up to take the penalty and burying it while the Greek fans were shining lasers in his eyes, giving him the classic Egypt versus Senegal treatment. going to be really interesting to see how Greece fare at the end of this group, especially with that Ireland situation we were talking about. It's going to be fun. Yeah. Which would I think it would be a shame if Greece ended up not qualifying for the Euros because they've mm. been really impressive Insanely so good. far. Yeah. Like, better than I would have ever expected them to be this qualifying cycle. Yeah, yeah. I, I was rooting for them that game. I was a little disappointed at the end there, but we'll see. Yeah. I can't say I'm disappointed when Virgil <laughs> van Dijk scores a goal. <laughs> Bosnia and Herzegovina were blanked by Portugal, who beat them by five. And it was a Cristiano Ronaldo brace on the day with Bruno Fernandes, João Felix, and João Cancelo, each adding a goal of their own. So both of the Jaos in on the party with Ronaldo. And, of course, Bruno Fernandes, who always seems to pop up for Portugal. You could say, how many do you want? How <laughs> many, many do you want? I like that, Max. How many do you want? All right, next up, we've got Ukraine 3 and Malta 1. Malta again suffering a defeat, and this time it's Mikhailo Mudrik who scored what you have to say is an insanely good goal to score your first goal for the national team. So hats off to Mikhailo Mudrik and Nandan. I'm sure that you'll be hoping that he continues this form for Chelsea. Of course, I've been saying it for a while that he's a phenomenal player. It's just been waiting to see when he comes out, and now I'm really excited. I'm really excited. All right, we're going to move on to some South American World Cup qualifying, which has been extremely exciting so far. There's a lot of odd situations going on here. Starting with Venezuela 3 and 0 Chile. Venezuela, by the way, are the only South American nation to never see the World Cup, and they are surely playing this cycle like they are ready to end that string of misfortune. 
I believe they find themselves fourth in their World Cup qualifying group right now on seven points and not far behind some of the powerhouses in that group. So Shout out Venezuela. Venezuela is yeah. certainly a team to keep an eye on. Paraguay beat Bolivia 1-0, and Paraguay are also lurking just outside of the six World Cup qualifying spots from South America early on. So another team to keep your eye on as they kind of lurk on the bubble there. Ecuador and Colombia played to a nil-nil draw, and this, you have to say, is a bump in the road for both nations in early World Cup qualifying, one that I think Colombia, though, might look back on unkindly, as Luis Diaz had a second-half penalty saved, and that will go down as an opportunity wasted for three crucial points on the road in South American World Cup qualifying which I think in South American World Cup qualifying, away points are more crucial than home points. 100%. Yeah. Everyone can play at home, but can you play in a hostile atmosphere Especially on the road? in South America, yeah. South America is a brutal atmosphere to play away in, so they might come back to regret that. Yep. The next very odd one we have, <laughs> Uruguay 2, 0 Brazil, and it's our lord and savior, Darwizzi. Darwin Nunez <laughs> is at it again. Darwin Nunez overall looked extremely impressive this international break. You have to give him some credit. I haven't seen him this productive for Uruguay yet, and we're really starting to see him play with some confidence. And I don't know about the two of you guys, but I think Darwin with confidence is a scary, scary sight for the Pure Premier League. Chaos. Oh, I agree. No, no thoughts, just chaos. <laughs> <laughs> nope. Also... Worth noting, this is the first win for Uruguay against Brazil in 22 meetings between the two nations. After another bump in the road in Brazil's last game, though, you have to say, how did this go so wrong for Brazil? Their starting lineup wasn't full of bums. It featured Ederson, Marquinhos, Gabriel from Arsenal, Casemiro, Bruno Guimaraes, Rodrigo, Neymar, Vinicius Jr., and Gabriel Jesus. Star-studded lineup right yeah. there. So where does this go wrong? Beside the fact that it's also worth mentioning that Neymar tore not only his ACL but his meniscus hey, in this game. All I'm going to say is if, if Neymar wanted to be me, he could have just asked for some tips, man. I mean, come <laughs> on. Neymar and Nandan, the ACL brothers. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just like Neymar, for real. Uh, but yeah, on a serious note, I really don't know. I'm very fascinated. I think the last the last two World Cup cycles, Brazil have been so overwhelmingly uh, favored to win the World Cup. And I think the way they've gone out in the last two, I feel like they're just mentally, I think they're just demoralized, honestly. I think I genuinely feel this is more of a more a mental thing than a physical thing. Because we know this lineup can very easily conquer all of South America and the world if they wanted to. Um, so it's very, it's a really interesting case. Yeah, and, and for me personally, of course, as an Arsenal fan, it's nice to see uh, two of our three Gabbies getting in on the action. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think maybe also part of it is some chemistry issues. You know, of course, they're bringing new guys in all the time. You know, of course, Gimaraes wasn't a part of this team a few years ago, uh, Rodrigo, but now they're getting these guys in. So hopefully, uh, then get them all on the same page. Like we've been saying, the talent that they have on paper is pretty insane, and they should be able to do more than they have been doing recently. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. This uh, this problem that Brazil has right now, you have to suggest maybe a Carlo Ancelotti-sized problem mm-hmm. to fix. You know? 
Not bad to ask. I've also heard a rumor that if Carlo Ancelotti leaves Real Madrid to become the Brazil manager, that there's a very real possibility that Jose Mourinho will leave Roma to become the Real Madrid manager. Really? Really? I was expecting Xabi Alonso to move over, to be honest. That's a really interesting one. I think that would make more sense. Yeah. Mm. Because Xabi, I think, has been more impressive than... Yeah, that's what I would think. Because if you see the way Bayer Leverkusen are playing, they're playing unbelievable. Uh, But you never know. Yeah. Next up, Peru 0 to Argentina. Lionel Messi, the greatest player of all time. Yep, you heard me say it. I'm not going to take it. Future winner. You heard <laughs> me right. say it. I'm not taking it back. Nope. He's the best player of all time. And if you can't agree with that, well, I'm sorry. The show is named after him. You so. can debate a wall. <laughs> Lionel Messi passes Luis Suarez to become the all-time leading goal scorer in South American World Cup qualifying. His first goal, if you have not seen the highlights from that game, is absolutely outrageous. It's one of those Messi is not from this world moments where he gets crossed a hospital ball, you have to say. It's it's kind of <laughs> chopped pass. chopped up at him near his shins. And Messi somehow at full sprint like jumps at it, twists his ankle, and manages to get full torque from his hips as well to smash it over the goalkeeper's head and send it into the roof of the net. So that was one of those. I looked at that goal and I thought, man, this guy isn't real. (laughs) Sometimes I I see all the debates about Holland winning the treble and, you know, all these things. And then they say, you know, oh, is he the best player in the world? Uh, And then I see clips like this and I'm like, oh, hell no. No debates. As long as he's still active, he is definitely the best player on the planet. Mm -hmm. This is also now over 700 minutes without conceding a goal for Emmy Martinez with the Argentina squad. So Emmy Martinez, the Aston Villa goalkeeper, has been an absolute brick wall for Argentina. Serious question here. With or without Messi, what do we think Argentina's chances are of running it back in the U.S. in 2026? Are you asking me with Messi or without Messi first? Either ways, you pick... I think with Messi they have a real shot. I think without Messi, no. That there's not really? there's not a figure in that squad that can hold the team together and get them all moving toward a collective purpose more than Leo can. That's a good mm. point. Good point. Exactly, yeah. Because everyone's collective purpose is Leo. Yeah. yeah. True. <laughs> so if Leo leaves, they don't have a purpose anymore. <laughs> I think we saw that with Barca too, you know, after he yeah. left it kind of capitulated. So he's definitely very influential. At first, yeah. At first, yeah. There are also two honorable mention matches that I want to throw in this week. First, Pakistan beat Cambodia 1-0 in Asian World Cup qualifiers. Mm -hmm. And this is Pakistan's first ever World Cup qualifying win. Unbelievable. I mean, hats off to them. So hats off to them. Unbelievable scenes. The photos from that match at the end with all the players collapsing on the field with their fists in the air and screaming into the sky is fantastic. Mm Mm-hmm. Also, Japan and South Korea remain dominant during the international break with both of those sides on an absolute tear right now. South Korea beat Vietnam 6-0, and Japan had an impressive 2-0 win against Tunisia, who is another World Cup side. So both sides are scoring for fun at the moment and not conceding many goals down the other end. So make sure you keep your eyes on Japan and South Korea when those Asian World Cup qualifiers really kick into action. With all of our quick breakdown matches out of the way, it's time for us to take a short break, but we will be right back with Honker of the Week and an extra fun little segment that we have this week and our predictions at pace, including Max's takes for this week. So don't go anywhere. 
All right, we are back in the WECB studio, and it is time for Honker of the Week. <laughs> this week's Honker of the Week award has been issued to the French First and Second Divisions, Ligue 1 Uber Eats and Ligue 2 BKT, respectively, after reports broke yesterday that so far in this bidding cycle for television streaming rights, they have received a grand total of zero bids so far in the process, with companies being hesitant to pony up the 795.3 million euro annual fee to stream French domestic league matches. This puts their television and media presidents in grave jeopardy as they are clearly unable to compete with the more competitive leagues in England, Italy, Spain, and Germany. This is a bit of a tough question for the three students in the middle of undergraduate degrees here in Boston, but where does French football go from here? How can they learn from this? You know, I think the French football case, it's a very fascinating case because I believe the past couple of years, we've definitely seen Ligon have a couple of stars come and go, namely Messi, Neymar, Neymar, those kind of names. But their revenue hasn't been great. Uh, I was looking through some stats lately, uh, and over the past 10 years, Ligon has been significantly behind the other top five leagues in terms of revenue. Uh, and if there's anything I've learned from my sports comm class this semester is that if you don't bring the money in, you're not getting it. Uh, so... Shout out to to Dr. A for that one. Um, but yeah, it's a really interesting case. I don't know where they go. Do they tear the whole thing down and start fresh? Do they get big names in? How Do they market their names? I don't know. Max, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, it's really interesting. I mean, I think with Ligue 1, all the time we see these super, you know, talented youngsters coming through that go on to other leagues and they begin to flourish. And so you wonder kind of where it goes wrong. And I, I honestly, I think I do see some similarities with MLS, which right now is kind of in a transitory period. Um, and, you know, and their league, and they're going to have to see moving forward, again, the same things. How do they market their league better? How do they actually attract genuine interest in the league? And can I also make another note that I think this also has a bit of a cultural aspect to it because, uh, at least in my observation, if you've noticed the ultras of many of these Parisian clubs, they seem to be very hell-bent on the idea of having French-based superstars. Uh, they've brought in, like PSG, for example, uh, their ultras scapegoated the hell out of Messi and Neymar anytime they capitulate in the UCL and in the recent days they've taken them out and brought in I think it's Usman Dembele they brought in Rondel Colomani they brought in all these French stars and even now when PSG are actually doing worse than they were last year the ultras now the messages I've been seeing all across social media is oh give them time they'll be fine and so I also wonder if maybe it's a cultural thing in terms of getting superstars into the league that their own personal biases are stopping them from being bringing in players who could bring up the revenue in this league, bring it more pop popular, and in turn make people want, make companies want to buy their streaming rights. Uh, so it's an interesting case. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Alternative reality. Think about this: if there are no bidders for the French league streaming rights, think about Kylian Mbappe, Akraf Hakimi, Usman Dembele, Randall Colomuani, Gianluigi Donnarumma. Fuller and Balogun and all of the other stars playing their matches in the French top division, playing without any streams or without any highlights coming out of those games because there's no streams to cut into highlights. So you would just hear about your French <laughs> league results from the radio, from either fan videos from the stands or from radios and stuff like that. So that would be a bit of an odd situation. You know, I think ultimately there is going to be someone that takes it, but it's going to be at a huge loss. Because uh, I do know, like, for example, B in sports who has it this year, 
have been doing a terrible job of marketing it to American homes as compared to ESPN has done in the past. Um, so I think someone will take it. It's just a question of who and how bad is it going to be. Paramount um, Plus, maybe. <laughs> oh, hey. I mean, I feel like some streaming giant is going to come in below asking price just to bail them out and be like, guys, listen. Amazon Prime. They've done take, it with a lot of leagues already. They've done it with the, the deal. NFL. We're not going to give you the big money you're asking for, but <laughs> take the deal so you don't end up looking like fools when your matches aren't on television. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Amazon and Paramount Plus have both been doing that, especially in American sports with the NFL, the NBA. Mm. Uh, so, you know, I think they might they might branch out. You never know. This is now three episodes we've done in three weeks in a row that we've had a fantastic benchmark for Honker of the Week. <laughs> it is worth mentioning this week there was an honorable mention that I had in mind for Honker of the Week, which is that Papu Gomez... Mm-hmm. has tested positive for doping and is at risk now of losing not only his Europa League winner's medal with Sevilla, but also losing his coveted World Cup winner's medal with Argentina. Which oh, is wow. really interesting. I think I was reading about it, and it, he claimed that he had taken his, I think, his kid's cough syrup medicine one day before one of the training sessions because he felt ill. Uh, but my only question is, what kind of syrup was that, man? What, what What's your kid taking? <laughs> Sounds fishy to me. Sounds certainly fishy to me. Uh, All right, we're going to get through this next fun segment pretty quickly, but I want to get it in here because I think we have enough time left and I think we can really have some fun with this. So it's time for the three of us here in the studio today to rank one through five all five World Cups that the three of us have been alive for. So what little you can remember from Germany 2006 South Africa 2010, Brazil 2014, Russia 2018, and Qatar 2022. Here's the question, though, before I start, before we start, are we talking simply from our experience strictly, or from the global perspective? I'm going to say personal perspective. Strictly personal. Strictly personal, okay. not okay. not from global, from okay. your own personal perspective. All right, uh, Connor, you want to go first? No, actually, you go. <laughs> no, so, so a couple of highlights I could give you from each of these. So 06, just for a refresher in our minds, 06, you have obviously the infamous Zidane headbutt mm-hmm. in the final, which I remember watching vividly. Um, 2000, oh, also 06 was the referee forgetting how to count. Yep, the three yellow cards. And giving three yellow cards to a Croatian defender. I believe it was Graham Poles, the referee's name. Mm-hmm. You had 2010 South Africa, which was obviously the opening day magic of the South African national team. One of Peter Drury's favorite calls ever. (laughs) And the little dance that they did uh, when they scored that goal as well. Um, You had Brazil 2014. Obviously, you had world-class goals scored in that tournament. You had Tim Cahill's volley, Van Persie's diving header. Spain went out in the group stages after winning the World Cup in 2010. James Rodriguez hit hit the scene running in the 2014 mm-hmm. World Cup and gave us one of the best goals at the World Cup maybe ever. Um, Neymar's breakout, I'd say, too. Potentially, yeah. I would say probably Neymar's breakout in that tournament. I would say uh, 2018 Russia, probably not as many highlights from 2018 Russia, but you have the Ronaldo game, mm. three Portugal, three Spain. Um, there are a couple of other big ones. That I'm just from, oh, Russia went out on penalties. Yep. Or no, Spain went out on penalties to, to the host nation, Russia. So that was kind of mental. Um, you also had a couple of good upsets in that tournament. And then 2022 Qatar, obviously the most recent one in memory. There was obviously everything that went on before the tournament with all the news that came out about all the human rights violations. Mm-hmm. So you might have to take that into account when you do your rankings. Yeah, I can go first, I guess. I'm going to be frankly honest with you. I 
was two years old when the Germany when the Germany World Cup happened, and I have no I memory. I was five, of it. <laughs> but I still remember watching the final. Actually, really, wow. yeah. I don't have any recollection because uh, I was two. Uh, so I'm unfortunately gonna have to put L6 Germany at the bottom for that's, that reason. That's, yeah, that's understandable. That's um, fine. I also only really remember maybe the final of the South Africa World Cup. So as much as the vibes, really? yeah, I was. F- believe it or not, the first World well, Cup. Well, you I were watched, also seven, weren't you? Believe it or not, the first World Cup I ever watched was 2014. Okay, I, I was okay. a late bloomer for soccer. Right. Um, so I'm gonna have to put those two below that at the bottom, just because I don't have memory. Um, and then at the third spot. I'm going to go 2018 at three. Um, as we said, I just don't think there were as many memorable moments in the tournament. Uh, obviously, I think I loved watching Antoine Griezmann that tournament. He was unreal. Um, but besides that, no real big moments in my mind. Second, I'm going to go 2014 Brazil, honestly, because that one, the, again, the first one I watched, Yep. I have so much nostalgia from that one. I still listen to the, the, so the you're, playlists. So this means you're putting 2022 Qatar at the top for you. Two words, Leo Messi. That's all I have fair to play, say. Fair play, fair play. Max, Max, your ranking? Yeah, I mean, I think a uh, similar situation to Nandan, I'm probably going to have to rank 06 Germany last and 2010 South Africa last because I I didn't watch any of those World Cups live. Um, but also for the 2010 World Cup, shout out to Landon Donovan with that last minute goal in the group stage. I um, mm. actually got to go to a soccer camp once when I was younger and uh, he was one of like the head coaches there. And so oh, I got well. to hear kind of like his inside thoughts about that play and everything. So that was cool. Uh, but then from the three World Cups that I have gotten to see, I think I think it's a tricky one. I think I would go 2018 Russia in third, 2014 Brazil in second, and 2022 Qatar, I have to say, up top again. And I think for me, my perspective is with nostalgia, looking back on it, for example, with Qatar, like last year, um, you know, first semester of college, kind of watching games of people up here, I thought that was really fun. Mm-hmm. Um, and then with Brazil, I just remember the nostalgia, kind of, that was my first World Cup, yep. um, like watching games at home with my dad and whatnot, and driving in the car when I saw that Germany beat Brazil 7-1 and just all those mm-hmm. moments like that. And I think that, that that informs my rankings that way. Can I also add uh, Tim Howard, the Secretary of Defense oh, yes. in that World Cup? Oh, oh yes. yeah. 16 saves. All right. My rankings, I'm going to try to do these pretty quickly, but I'm going to actually put 2018 Russia at the bottom of my rankings. I was not a fan of the 2018 Russia World Cup, and there was also a lot of dodgy stuff going on behind the scenes there in that one as well. And yeah. then, as we all know, there was... In invasion shortly after the World Cup. So I'm going to put 2018 Russia at the bottom strictly for sports washing reasons. Fair yeah. enough. Yeah. Um, I'm going to put, I'm to, this may be controversial, but I'm actually going to put 2022 Qatar at four. Really? Okay. For the same reasons. That's fair enough. Yeah. That's valid. As, yeah. Listen, I when Messi that. won the World Cup, that was the ugliest sob of my life. Agreed. Yeah. But at the same time, leading up to the tournament, like, so many I was. N- you're never going to boycott it because you're always going to watch the World Cup, but at the same time, it was like part of me was seriously considering not watching it because of everything that was going on. And I was like, I just, I I can't, like, I don't That's know. That's true. It was That's awful. True. I, I got yeah. over it, though. I did end up watching every match of the 2022 World Cup. So, <laughs> um, so that's fourth. I'm going to put 06 Germany in third. I'm going to put 2014, no, 2010 South Africa second. Shout out Waka Waka, the greatest theme of any World Cup and probably the best song specifically for football of all time. And um, then I'm going to put 2014 Brazil at the top because I think overall that was just the most epic tournament. And uh, also it hasn't been said yet, but Brazil won, Germany 7. Unbelievable. In a World Cup semifinal, 7-1. In Brazil's home field. So yeah, that uh, that was fun to look at. 
anyways, thank you guys for uh, indulging in that short little segment. I thought that was a lot of fun, and that one just kind of popped into my head earlier today. Yeah. Now it's time for predictions at pace, and obviously Thomas, who isn't here, has given us his predictions ahead of time. So our first match is Liverpool versus Everton. Thomas says it's going to be a 3-0 Liverpool clean sheet. I say it's going to be 2-1 Liverpool because their defense is ass, <laughs> and Andy Robertson is only going to make us even more bad now mm. that he's injured. So, now I'm done. I'm going to go 2-0 Liverpool. Um, as much as Liverpool might be shaking in defense, they can't possibly be worse than Everton. Um, <laughs> so, 2-0, I'm saying. Max? Yeah, I think I'm going to go 3-1 Liverpool. I think there's no doubt Liverpool will get the win there. But since this derby, I do think Everton will have a slight bit of edge and get a goal in. But they will be massively outplayed. Next match, Chelsea-Arsenal, London derby. And one that you guys, I'm sure, will probably have to watch together and make fun of each other depending (laughs) on who loses. We're watching the game together tomorrow, actually. Yep, As you should. So Thomas says this is going to be a 2-0 Arsenal clean sheet. I say that it's going to be 3-1 Arsenal because I think that Chelsea probably find themselves with a penalty. Mm. Okay. Nandam? I'm going 2-0 Chelsea. I think this is going to be a statement result, honestly. I think this is going to be one we look back on. I look back on at the end of the year and be like, yeah, this changed everything. And Max? And uh, more reasonably, I think uh, (laughs) Arsenal will win uh, (laughs) 10-0. No, I'll say 3-1. I can see uh, Kai Havertz getting a last-minute goal, just getting him oh back on you God. guys. Um, oh. That would be the best moment of the season, That I think. would hurt me beyond... Mm. Compr- yep. <laughs> yeah, right. I think 3-1. Yeah. Sevilla, Real Madrid. Thomas says it's going to be a 2-2 draw. I say Real Madrid are going to win 3-0. Nandan? I'm going 3-2 Madrid. Okay, Max? I'll say 2-1, and it's got to be Bellingham at the double. Mm. Ooh, Bellingham double, Max says. Moving on, it's a big match in Italy between AC Milan and Juventus. Uh, Thomas says 2-0 to Milan. I also say 2-0 to Milan. I'm saying 2-1 to Milan. Max? Mm. That's a tough one. I think I'm going to have to say 2-1 Milan. I mean, I think it'll be a good game. We've got potentially McKenney, Weah, Pulisic, and Musa all in the field at the same time. Ideally, if we can get a 2-2, everybody scores. That'd be great to see, but I definitely think 2-1 Milan. And the last match, it's a UCL clash between Newcastle, who lead the group, and Dortmund. Thomas says this one's going to be 2-0 Newcastle, and because they're at home, I say it's going to be 2-1 Newcastle. <laughs> because Nicholas Fulkrug has been in form, and I think he scores again. I'm going 3-1 Newcastle. Ooh, 3-1 Newcastle. I think Newcastle are says. significantly better, quite frankly. And Max? I mean, I'm going to say 1-0 Newcastle. I think Newcastle will definitely have the edge at St. James, but I think... Uh, It'll be a tight game for sure. Dortmund will bring it. All right. Unfortunately, that is all we've had time to discuss here today on the Getting a Bit Messy show. But before we go, shout out again to our Boston listeners. Get down to Rochfield in the South End and support the Emerson College men's and women's soccer teams and their push for conference playoffs. The men's team return tomorrow, Saturday the 21st at 1 o'clock to face Salve Regina, while the women's team returns next weekend, Saturday the 28th, to play their regular season finale against MIT. So get your butt down to Roch and support the Lions. Also, a very special thank you to our guest host for today's episode. A nice golf clap for our loving football-loving friend, Max Demel, so we don't destroy the audio quality. <laughs> give it up for Max. Indeed. Max, you, I'm going to give you the uh, the Sean Evans Hot Ones treatment. You've got 30 seconds. The time is yours for any shout-outs you want to give or anything you want to plug for yourself, your friends. <laughs> okay, yeah, for sure. 
I mean, I think one shout-out I have to do, um, there's a little group here at Emerson called Dining Hall Football Club. Yes, sir. Um, the, the three of us, and of course Thomas, too, are all a part of. Um, a good group of Emerson students are very passionate about football here, and we like to get together and play and have fun. Um, so if there's anybody out there listening that wants to get involved in playing, come out and play with us. I think it's a great time. Follow Dining Hall FC on Instagram. Yeah, for sure. Um, and then other than that, uh, I guess... I'm not sure if I have any other shout-outs, but thank you guys so much for having me, of course. This has been fantastic. Ah, come on. I expected an up the arsenal from you. <laughs> I mean, of course, you know, up the arsenal, you know, uh, Chelsea in the mud. You know. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right. Well, All right. thank you again, come Max. On, Gunners. Thank you, Max, again for joining us today. Reminder, send us fan messages or questions at gettingabitmessy at gmail.com, and we'll feature our favorite ones each week on the show. You guys have been lacking so far. Come on, guys. Give us a message to feature. We're dying over here. <laughs> And be sure to follow the show on all your favorite social platforms so that you never miss an episode. You can find all our connecting links at linktree slash getting a bit messy. That's linktr.ee slash the show's name, getting a bit messy. Thank you so very much for kicking it with us again this evening. And we hope to see you all right back here next Friday, October 27th at 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time to get a bit messy with us here in the studio. I, as always, have been your host for the day, Connor Donovan, joined by my football-loving co-host, Non Don, and our very special guest star, Max Demel. And we will see you all next time on Getting a Bit Messy.